Hello there, this is Brian Lawrenson, and you're tuning into this episode of the Altitude Sessions Podcast. Really glad you stopped by. We're actually coming to you live from our mobile podcasting studio today here in Rock Springs, Wyoming. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about James Clear and some of the things that he's doing to help unlock life habits for a lot of top people around, not just healthcare, but around the world. And then, you know, we're going to jump into what some of those things mean. And then more importantly, we're going to hop over to the Atlantic and see what's going on with a newly funded life insurer and then kind of wrap it back into some things that that could mean for you here in the great U.S. of A. We'll talk about all these things and more. Let's get going. It's time for the Outspeed Sessions Podcast. All right. Well, again, it's really a good, good, good to have you with us here on this episode of the Altitude Sessions podcast. And, you know, as we talked about in the intro, you know, I've been a subscriber to a newsletter by a gentleman named James Clear. If you're not familiar with who he is, by the time we get done with this podcast, I think you'll have a better idea. But it's a, you know, it's a weekly newsletter. It comes out on Thursdays. It hits, I think, close to almost a half a million people now. So it's a pretty well subscribed newsletter that people from all walks of life are really subscribed to. And it's a pretty concise format. It's called 321. It's it's a pretty interesting, uh, it's just a pretty interesting life hack that, you know, he sends out with, with uh, a number of questions and things for you to think about and those type of things. But it's a clean format. It's something that I actually share amongst our team at M4 Innovation. I think that we all you know, derive some degree of inspiration or some degree of thoughtfulness from it. And I thought, you know, for this particular podcast, we'd pull a little bit of that into, you know, our, our listenership and, and to share a little bit about some of the things that James talked about. And then, you know, as we talked about, we'll also hop into what's going on over in the UK with a life insurer that was recently funded and, you know, what they've been working on and how that has some impact to potentially some of the things you're thinking about here back stateside. So, you know, as we hop into it, James Clear is actually, he's an author of Atomic Habits. He's a book, you know, it's a book that's that's been out there for a bit. It's, he's also a weightlifter. He's a travel photographer, as you could say, a real renaissance person, you know, traveling the world, but bringing insights along those journeys and been featured in the New York Times, among other places. And, you know, if you go right to it, you know, his, his core belief, and that's one of the things we'll talk about today is just what's the core belief that drives you? What is that? belief set that kind of defines who you are as a person, who you are as an executive, you know, and his, his belief is in all of the, uh, you know, the studious work that he's done is that, you know, as, as individuals, you don't rise to the level of your goals. We all have goals. We have plenty of goals. You know, the punchline for him is that you fall to the level of your systems. And we've had relationships with a lot of folks out there that are, you know, making a pretty good career of talking through and writing with folks uh, across the spectrum of industries about exactly that, it, you know, about things like habit formation. We've talked about it in the past and past podcasts, you know, featuring folks like Andrew Sykes and what he's done with the, you know, his, his 11 habits and how he's using that to help uh, organizations, particularly on the revenue side, tell better stories and drive revenue by, you know, creating habits specific around that. And I think that's an, a fascinating area to be in. I think, James looks at it a little bit more broadly and, you know, tries to help people, you know, dare I say it, do things like life hacks and become better people and more productive and more centered and all of those things. So I think, you know, his, his habit and goal formation and the foundation of what he's trying to get at 
is uh, a little bit different than Andrew's, but at the same point, I think, you know, they're part of a, a group of people that are out there, of which there are many that are really trying to help people at their core achieve, you know, some level higher than where they are today by, by helping along their course. And since I guess you could say the dawn of time, there's always been people out there that want to do that. And there's plenty of people that are seeking that type of, that type of service. But you know, what, what makes, in my opinion, James stand out a bit is just, you know, he'll, he'll kind of break it down and, and pull it and distill it into pretty clear, concise messages that I found that even, even have helped me and have helped me to relay certain things to, to my team in a different way. And, and I just thought it made sense to share some of that with you guys. I mean, you know, at, at his core, I think we can all agree that even beyond what, what James, you know, if you dig into what he's doing a little bit deeper, even beyond what he's talking through, just at a general level for all of us, our habits do matter. The decisions that we make along the course of our life, it matters. How we learn from those decisions matters probably even more. And then how we live our life through all of these decisions and the ups and downs and stuff probably matters the most. And that's the way, you know, to simplify it from my end, that's the way I've kind of looked at how we, we live our lives and, you know, what separates one person from the next and what defines your story makes it a little bit different than mine and mine a little different than yours is because of those things, you know, I mean, the habits that we've formed along the way, the decisions that we've made, how we've learned from those decisions, and now how we live our life through the ups and downs of those decisions, you know, attitude, the, uh, you know, the intentionality of the things that we're doing, the risk tolerances around the things that we're willing to do, those things all just kind of settle in and they end up writing the book that becomes our life and our life story and makes us all a little bit different. So, you know, talking about some of the things that, you know, James Clear, you know, in his most recent newsletter that came out on Thursday, September 26th, one of the things that really stood out to me was in, in one of his three ideas. So the format of the newsletter is three ideas for me, two quotes from others. And then, you know, he gets into one question for you. So again, really clear, concise, distilled way of packing in quite a bit of insight in one in one place. And in the three ideas for me section of this, this most recent newsletter, you know, the first idea that just kind of jumped off the page for me and just, I guess, hit me at the right moment was it just as optimists win in the long run because their miscalculation of how long it will take or how likely it is to succeed motivates them to give it a try. If you knew how hard it would be, and how long it would take in the beginning, then you might not try in the first place. You can't guarantee success, but you can guarantee failure. Never try. How many of you that are out there are listening to this right now guarantee failure when you wake up tomorrow because there's something in your head that could make your team better, could make your organization better, could make your marriage better, could make your parenting skills better, that you don't put in play because you've got a fear of trying. Because what this basically says is that the only way you can guarantee failure is to never try. 
and I, you know, that sits with me sometimes too, because there are still things that given the community of super athletes and others that I live in or live within here in, in Jackson in Wyoming, I mean, they do things that candidly scare the hell out of me. But as I live here longer and longer, there are more and more things that I'm willing to try because I realize that maybe one of the greatest failures in life is not having that experience at all and to push myself and to figure some of those things out along the way. But I think even the larger point to this is that there is a degree of optimism that sits within all of us that if we let it fly, we free it, we let it go a bit, that even though we may miscalculate the journey, we may be much more richly rewarded through personal experiences, new friends, new opportunities, bigger roles within what we do because we decided to take the journey. Because the optimism in our minds, the passion in our hearts actually pushed us further to do something just a little bit more, a little bit further outside of our comfort zone than what we might have wanted to do yesterday. I think about the journey from an optimism perspective, even even on our end at, at, at M4 when we moved to Jackson Hole a couple years ago. You know, moving to Jackson Hole is a, it's a beautiful idealism. It's one that Sounds smart, sounds simple, sounds like it makes a heck of a lot of sense on paper. And as an optimism, you go back and recount the histories of the Jackson Hole group with you know, Dr. Alan Intiman and, and others that were part of something big that existed several decades ago that impacted healthcare policy and the outcomes and outputs of what's even driven the system today, of which many of you probably study in group school and other things coming up through the industry. Those guys did wonderful work. They did it all from the Valley, but they also did it from the Valley during a time when things were much different. The Jackson Hole Valley, which includes towns of Wilson and Moose and Kelly and the town of Jackson and, and others, which comprise the entire Valley, you know, at the time when they were meeting in Wilson, things sure as hell weren't as expensive as they are now. So from the romanticism and the optimism of, hey, let's come back and let's be something not necessarily exactly like that, but let's build something with a community of people that takes healthcare into the next phase and kind of does its own thing, but does it in, in a way that, that still pays homage to the folks that were in this valley before us that actually did something incredible while they were here. That was the optimism part of it. Now, the, the part, again, about not knowing the full journey and what it all means and how it, what it's going to take to get it done and everything else, you know, you start on that optimism front and we did as well, you know, when, when we pushed ourselves here, but there are hard things. It's not a very growth oriented place. It's an incredibly expensive place. It's very difficult to recruit people. I was just at the Jacksonville technology partnership gathering, which is formed by and through the support of some capital partners and, Wyoming's Governor Mark Gordon that puts us together as a way to think through economic diversification for the state just this last week. And, you know, when they talk about moving to Wyoming in general, and then when you really fast forward it to Jackson Hole, it's something you really have to want because it isn't easy. It, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't just sit itself out there saying, come and get it. 
it's something you got to go get and you got to keep climbing and climbing and you fight through a whole lot of stuff. But that's the optimism that continues to push you. It's what pushed us. And now when I look back, I mean, we've created things inside our organization now that are advantages despite all the, the grinding and the stress and the, the nights that have passed since, the, since we started in this journey that makes our company truly a little bit different. It's hard to come into Jackson. It's hard to establish this type, type of business in Jackson. It's hard to build a community in Jackson that does what it's doing these days amongst all these top executives. But we're here. We're established. We've gone through the maze. We built a community of relationships with people that are astronomically creative and talented that, that have a tether in some big slice of healthcare, either in our town or somewhere else throughout the, throughout the United States because of the success they've had in their role, that we're equally attracted to this valley. And we've been able to put together a series of resources that makes what we do a little bit different. A lot different, I don't know, but a little bit different. And it all started on this journey of optimism to say, gosh, we have to try. Now, I know every time we get into the winters and my wife, Kristen, looks at me, she's like, why in the hell are we doing this? Why are we trying? Because, man, I tell you, the winters can be tough. But it's a wonderful place. It's a beautiful place. It's a place that most people see as tourists one way. And when you live here, you start to see it a different way. You might come for the Tetons and the mountains and the, the beauty and, and the access to public lands. But what you end up staying for is the community. It's a community that's not willing to easily throw open its arms and accept you. But once you've gotten there and you've, like everything else in life and relationship building and other things, once you've proven that you're willing to stay there, stick it, go through the maze, out, you know, outlast, push forward, remain optimistic despite all the challenges that are thrown in front of you, it's a community that starts to accept you and it becomes a different place because of that. The key point, not that it's all about us, but the key point is just you have to try. There's something in your life that's sitting right in front of you right now that you want to try, you want to do. And there's probably a hundred reasons why you'll tell yourself you shouldn't. That's the pragmatist to you. But there has to be an optimist, an optimistic side to you. There has to be this, this eternal optimist that says, we're going to push forward and do this because even though I know there are challenges in front of me that I don't know and that I couldn't anticipate, there are things that I'm willing to continue to hold on to this optimistic block or this, this thing of hope that I'm going to change because I did it that you need to, you need to form now and make that be strong enough for the reason for you to try and realize that not trying signifies failure before you even get started. Don't start there. So when you think about the business that we're trying to create and where we want to be different, our whole focus and the reason we bring forward things in this podcast like James Clear and others, you know, Andrew Sykes in the past, because we truly want to focus on people, not just companies. So much about healthcare is all about, hey, how do we help this big insurance entity or this big hospital strategically be successful? Our role in distilling it down, and there's a point we want to get to that we'll draw back on here in a bit, but our role in distilling it down to the person is that the belief is, is that if we can help you as an individual find your path, help you become successful, help you connect up to the right people, help you think differently with the strategies that need to be put in play for this industry, help you take risks, if we can help you do all of those things as an individual, doesn't your team and doesn't your organization benefit by default because of that help? 
this is a focus on people. There's always all these platitudes out there that people are what make our business run. People are what make us better. Well, if that's really true, then what we're doing at M4 is focusing on the person, you, so that we can make you better, so that we can be that resource behind you to help guide the way, to give you that spark, that creative thinking, that, that thought that somewhere along the way, to give you that nudge so that you can be a little bit more optimistic, to help you find that one person that might make your year next year. That's what we do. It's not a focus on large organizations. It's a focus on you. You know, Formulate, which is getting together here in a couple weeks in Jackson Hole, so our second year here, fifth year overall, that's a focus on building a deep community of people, not creating a website full of companies to say, look, who, look who's coming. I think sometimes what people are most amazed with about that group is that we, we recruit this incredible cohort of people without ever detailing one thought leader. Because the thought leadership, while it's important, it's not the most important thing in that group. The most important thing in that group is getting the right people there and helping them figure out how to swim in their own lanes to chart their own course with the stuff that's set there in front of them. It's about debating like hell. It's about coming together in a private way where you're comfortable enough with each other to debate like hell, figure out how to support each other, and figure out how to maybe even carve out some time to where you move away from the isolation that comes from being a P&L leader. It can be lonely sometimes to actually find a group of people that you can relate with, not necessarily like everybody that's in there, but relate with, debate with, and find a cohort of people within that larger cohort that you want to support in helping to grow your career and their career. So I think that's, that's, that's what we're building through these strategy groups, and that becomes kind of the the ointment that drives the advisory work and other things that, that we continue or drive to continue to drive as part of this, this uh, approach, this crazy optimistic dream that is M4 in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So I, you know, going back to what James Clear said, you know, if, if we fall to anything, we don't fall because we lack goals. We all have goals. It could be as simple as I want to lose 25 pounds. It could be as grandiose as I want to, I'm a manager today. I want to be the CEO of my company. It could be even bigger. I want, I want, to, I want to cure world hunger in sub-Saharan Africa. And that's my goal. That's, that's the life goal. That's the thing that I want to hack and I want to figure out how to do. The punchline is always, it's not the goal. That's the issue. We got plenty of them. The issue is we always fail or fall to the level of the systems that we've established around it. That gets back into the habit discussion. When we get into these discussions around losing 25 pounds, I personally, it seems to be an annual goal for me. And God, last time you looked at this wonderful, uh, wonderful dude's body with the birdcage and everything else, I uh, sometimes find myself not getting there because I fail to the level of lack of systemic planning, which is where I admire some of you. It's just getting up at, at 545, 534, whatever it is, and knocking off two, three miles on the treadmill. 
and some of the things that come with actually fulfilling the goal. So the goal is always there. Hey, I want to get this done for me. But the systems sometimes are lacking. If you want to become the CEO of your company, there are things that you have to be able to set around you. And one of them is actually becoming better organized and becoming a bigger master of your schedule and much more a someone who's, who's better adept at controlling his or her time. It's creating the systems around that because as your career grows in prominence, so does the number of people and the things and the distractions in the world that want to eat away and claw away at your ability to manage your time. You know, so for James Clear, who's a creative and is, is a wonderful writer and is thinking pretty deeply about the things that he wants to distill to the audience that follows him, you know, his, his little hack and being good at what he is, is that he, he doesn't take any phone calls and he puts his phone in a different room and for the morning, you know, typically through lunch, you know, that's his creative time. It's, it's, it's his time of, of stillness and it's his time of place to think about nothing but how to be creative and the messaging that he wants to send out in the market. So in his world, it's I'll do my creative stuff in the morning, free of distractions, free of the phone, free of internet, free of multitasking, free of all those things. I'll do more of the skills-based things, the tasks-based things that I, tasks-based things that I need to do. Say that six times fast. I'll do that stuff in the afternoon when I feel that my creative energy wanes because I'm more of a creative person in the morning with James, in this case, James is the I he's more of a creative person in the morning. So he does creative things in the morning and he's built a system around kind of matching to who he is. Are you doing that? You know, for, for me, I, I used to drive people crazy as my career started to elevate a little bit in uh, you know, in, in running companies and in, in other things in the past. I had a hard and fast rule that I wouldn't take more than four hours of meetings in one given day. That was part of my system. Still is to this day, even at M4. Because of the type of work that I've always asked to be, to to do, which is also to help people think creatively and differently and other things. I also needed those moments where I could be still and I could think differently and if you're the type that's running from meeting to meeting every day and you're multitasking and other things, I, I will probably push you to say that you're not getting the best and the most out of who you could be. You've got a pencil in time for yourself. You've got a pencil in time for you to think. You've got a pencil in time for you to dig deep. Does it have to be four hours? No, you can do your own thing. But it's got to be something. It's got to be getting centered around who you are, how you function and how to build a system so that you can optimize all of those things. I can promise you, I don't think it's running from meeting to meeting every day. And there's a point on that here in a bit, but I I do think that there's some things to be said there. And, you know, the perfect example on some of this is one of many that are out there, but I don't know if you recall the story, but Mike Flint was a personal pilot for Warren Buffett. And we always like to talk about, people that have made it because we aspire to be some of us to be, you know, someone like that, or at least kind of carve our own path like them and be unique, not necessarily be Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett's Warren Buffett. You be you, but in carving that course on how you're going to be a better version of you tomorrow and the next day and the next, what can we learn from some of the other folks? And when Buffett's world, it's the 25, five rule. I mean, it was the three-step process that he, 
you know, the sage went out with his personal pilot, Mike Flint, and said, hey, I want you to take this process because it'll make you a better person. And that is by starting with the 25 career goals that you want to accomplish. What are those 25 things you want to accomplish? And then I want you to go back in the next step of that process when you define those 25, and I want you to circle the top five. What are the top five career things that you want to do, Mike Flint? And then when he circled those top five, he said, now, why do you think I took you through those first two steps? And Mike said, well, I need to focus on those top five. And then, you know, by creating these two lists of the top five and then the remaining 20 out of these 25 total things, I only focus on the other 20 when I have time, when I'm not working on these top five. And Warren said, well, that's the wrong answer. The reason you went through this two-step process was to distill your thinking down even further and further to only focus on those top five. Those other 20 things are distractions. Get rid of them. Don't think about them at all. Don't waste any mental energy on them at all until you've achieved those top five. This gets into the myth, and this gets back to James Clear, this gets into the myth of multitasking. For all of you that are meeting runners out there and, you know, or, or your time is, is stretched so thin and you think that you can bounce from one task to the next and you can do it with ease and you're so wonderful in your role because you can get all this done in a day, here's where it maybe all comes crashing down. Multitasking is a myth because the way our brain works our brain cannot focus on two things at the same time. You can't focus at the level of depth to really solve anything meaningful by doing two things at the same time. And that even goes for having CNN on the background, having your phone in your lap, fumbling back and forth and switching things back and forth. Look at me. Look how productive I am. You're not productive. You're not getting into the depth of anything. All you're doing is just fumbling around with your phone or you're looking at CNN with people barking at each other all while still trying to think through maybe a critical question or issue for your organization. The brain is not a great multitasker. The way James Clear sets it up is he even says even further, it's, it is, it's almost like a computer with memory. And every time you let these outside distractions kind of ping in on you, if you start at 100% and there's things going on in the background that start to eat up 10% of that, 20, 30, 40 you might find yourself at some point where all you have left because of the distractions that you allowed into the environment where you're trying to think through something, you might be doing it at 40% of your potential. This is about the systems and the structures that allow you to be good at what you do. They're not always going to be the same. My system isn't yours. James Clear's system isn't yours. Warren Buffett's system isn't yours. We can read about them. We can learn about it. You've got to define your own. And I think that's a point that we got to keep thinking through and we'll think through it together. I'll tell you that when you distill it all down, and if I were to give you some advice, the first thing in all of us, and so the folks in the East have been doing it and in others with meditation and other things, no matter what it is, if it's meditating, if it's going on a walk, if it's going on a run, it's going on a hike, if it's sitting in the corner bar of a, local tavern when it's an off hours and you're the only one in there, whatever it may be, and all of you thinking that that's me. No, I, as we get more into Jackson, it's more of the, the hike into the middle of nowhere type, but thanks for the support. But it, it, it is the, 
It's seek stillness. Find some place that allows you to be still. There's this whole industry now around going into these dark, pitch black, dark float tanks and you float in water because it, it suspends a certain sense of reality and allows you to center yourself and find a peace that you may not find in the overly stimulated world that we live in. For me, I have, you know, going back to the onset of this, this podcast, I have the ability out of good fortune and out of a lot of optimism and, you know, pushing through the shit every once in a while, I have the acts the, the opportunity to be able to go out into public lands. And for me, it's not always in the summer when every tourist in the world's coming through our town, which is great. And we appreciate all those folks that too, but it's really going out in the heart of winter when there's nobody there. And most of the wildlife has migrated down in the valley or the bears are sleeping or all the other things to me on a white snow blanketed winter day with the wind coming out of the, you know, the North give or take standing on a completely frozen over Jenny Lake, looking around for miles in every direction and hearing nothing. That's an example of the stillness that I still use to this day, even when I'm on the road that I try to find in other places. So once to seek stillness, I just think that, you know, there's even this, this thinking now with Ariana Huffington that just came out with a recent blog post saying, put your damn phone away. This distracting little bastard, put it away every once in a while. Don't sleep with it anymore. Don't wake up and fumble with email in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning or figure out what, you know, Trump tweeted overnight. To some degree, who cares? Put that thing in a different room, lock it up, buy a $25 alarm clock, which is actually in the thing that she wrote. And that was a suggestion. Get that phone out. Quit using it as a damn wake-up mechanism. Go buy the old-fashioned alarm clock. There's some pretty trendy, cool-looking ones out there, and they're not that expensive. But in, in the essence of seeking stillness and being more purposeful with your time and being more purposeful with how you want to think and go about your day, get rid of that thing. Get that out of your life for a bit. It's hard, but see if you can do it. The other thing is that, I don't know if you remember the show Prometheus, which was a Ridley Scott. It was, I think it was the prequel to Alien, where... They were at the Isle of Man in Scotland and they determined, you know, how maybe mankind was created and they went off on this pilgrimage and were hoping to find kind of the secret to life and how we as human beings were started. And in the storyline, you know, like I said, we're, we always start out as optimism and shit runs off the rails quickly. That's where we bring back the big bad alien and Sigourney Weaver and the, the uh, following shows, which actually happened many years before Prometheus was produced, but she had to fight them off and all that good stuff. So I think most of you know that story. But one of the lines that was in that is when they were actually in the Prometheus and they were going to the planet where they thought they were going to get seek all these answers and you know a lot of the meaning to life was going to be resolved and so on and so forth. Is as they were trying to find this structure on the planet that would be kind of this this beacon for the beginning of that journey. As they're looking out over the landscape, there's all this jagged rock and mountains and curvatures and, and other things that are out there. And then they look at this structure and it's straight and it's boxed and it's, it's got this symmetrical form to it. And the statement was, well, God doesn't draw in straight lines. And that, that line in that movie has always still kind of hit me and resonated with me because 
even within our careers, you know, kind of number two on this, stop trying to draw on straight lines. Your career is not a straight line. If, you, if your career, your marriage, your family relations and all those things are perfect A to B things and congratulations, you're probably one in a million. Hell, probably one in a billion. The honest truth is most of that stuff, life doesn't work in a straight line. You know, as they say in the movie, God doesn't draw in a straight line. It doesn't. You know, God draws in mountains, which are jagged, and river streams, which flow in all sorts of crazy patterns, and trees, which has leaves that none, no, no two leaves are the same. That's life, and that's how things work. That's the organic nature of being in a career and living and breathing and all these other things. It isn't a straight line thing, so stop trying to draw in a straight line. Stop expecting things to be in a straight line. Stop thinking that in your career that I'm going to be at this point in my career at this age and I'm going to be at this point in the next and others. Oh my God, man, I can't, if you, I told you the story of my career. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be that. But we're all where we are because of the journeys that we're on. And the, these are these organic, non-straight, non-linear things, these pathways that we continue to march forward on. And some days we take steps back. But the, the general function or focus of all this is that recognizing that we can't draw on a straight line, the idea and the thing that you want to put in place, the new business you want to create, all of these things, they're not straight line things. They're going to have their ups and downs. They're going to go sideways. They may go in a loopy loop and we may all just kind of hold our, hold our throats open. We don't throw up at times, but then there's just as many times we want to celebrate with each other. We want to high five. We want to talk about the successes and other things. But the key point is, you know, in this journey, you have to find the stillness, you know, item one, because if you don't have those places to get still, when you realize the journey on you're on is not a straight line, oh my gosh, if you don't have that place to find that stillness, things can get kind of rough. You got to be able to pull things back in center. So one, seek stillness, wherever that may be. Two, stop trying to draw in a straight line. And then three, slow down. We're in this world now where so much stuff comes at us at this hypersonic way and people are trying to get more targeted every day and how they get crap in front of us. People want more and more of your time. People expect more and more of your time. They want to call you at 10 o'clock at night and want to work through some of this stuff. Some of that's just the nature of the beast of what I do, but it may not be for you. But slow down. You have to find ways as part of this stillness and as part of this, part of this recognition that not everything's going to be perfect and that there's going to be some squiggles in the journey that you want to take and the idea that you want to put in the game, you need to also be able to find ways to slow down so that you can let knowledge and you can let people and you can let serendipity happen. We are all so busy. Going back to James Clear's thing, and our computer, our brain sometimes is only using 20, 30, 40, 50% of what it can really do because it's so damn distracted. So those are three points. And I'm, I'm going to leave with an, an insurance thought here in these last last couple of minutes because I want to pull it back to the industry. So just uh, recently over in the United Kingdom, there was an organization called Dead Happy that just picked up a four million pound Series A investment. It is the United Kingdom's, in their opinion, first digital only pay-as-you-go life insurance provider. What I found interesting about the model is that they have looked at life insurance and said, a couple of things. One, life insurance as a product is expensive. It's projecting expense on kind of who I'm going to be 20 plus years from now in all its actuarial tables and other things. And it also gets at a topic that 
I don't, most of us probably don't really want to think about, which is death. And death, you know, death sucks. It's the end, the end, period. Our story has been written. The thing that they did that would kind of, you know, a little bit of an interesting tweak to it is they became a, and are building a pay-as-you-go life insurance organization that focuses on who you are now and getting at the topic of death. Instead of it being this big life insurance payout provision at the end, that's maybe this amorphous thing, you get to define what that payout looks like and what it goes toward in the form of what they call a death wish. The death wish is the place that you start in designing this, this personalized in- instrument around you. And that death wish could be how you want your funeral to look like, or it could be to pay bills, the pragmatic side of it. It could be more of a happy thing where it's, I want my death wish to pay for my best friend, Janet, who's been by my, my side all these times. And, and, you know, my good buddy, Mike, or whoever it may be, I want to send them on a trip. I want my death to signify a celebration and experience for someone who's been special and close to me throughout my life. And you can define that. So the death wishes can be as custom as you want them to be. They can be as unique as you want them to be. Or you can, if you're still an unoriginal turkey, you can take somebody else's death wish and say, yeah, I want that one and and put that in play. But, you know, you get to the core tenets of what it is from a life insurance instrument and product. It's cheap life insurance. It's based on who you are today. It's fully digital. It's easy to use. It's got to focus on great customer service. It only asks four simple questions instead of these major, you know, long questionnaires that traditional bureaucratic life insurance organizations like to go through to de-risk everything. It's priced on who you are today. You know, like I said, not 20 years down the line. And it, it allows you to make life event changes along the way with having to go back through some type of a recertification or reapplication process. So you buy a house or you have a kid or you, any of these other things that make you want to change the death wish and you, whatever those things may be, you can do that and you don't have to reapply. So they're trying to become a, a fully digital, very friendly, great customer service oriented organization that focuses on who you are today and what your current thinking is about if I were to die, what would I want to happen Do I want to give to charity? Do I want to send my friend on a trip? Do I want to make sure bills are paid? What is it that I want to happen when my demise actually occurs? So I think it's an interesting twist. You know, I I still think there are some platform advantages you have to think through with businesses like that. They're creative. But what are the true platform advantages that come from it? I think those are things worth still debating. But the big question is, for you, here's my one big question for you to think through, and hopefully you'll get back to me on it. When you look at the insurance organizations today, the traditional ones that dominate in the American landscape, what are the things, where are you most vulnerable to this type of thinking? What are the things that are out there that people are starting to look at or maybe are already doing that you don't know of that are like this dead happy approach? How are they taking what the incumbent organizations are doing, which sometimes still feels slow, clunky, out of kilter with what the market wants, not as consumer-oriented and focused, and how, how might they look at your business and say, gosh, we're going to turn it on its head? You know, there are companies that are just starting out there, like Decent, 
that is starting to focus on the sole proprietor market. I believe last we looked at, there's like 23 million sole proprietor businesses in the United States. And you know, my belief, my belief has always been that the true platform advantage in hack and all this is figuring out how health insurance really works at an individual level and then tethering it to something a little bit bigger than just that individual that may not be an employer. And the thinking around that and the creativity that comes from that is decent. One of those things. So I think those are, those are interesting things for you to think through, but what are those opportunities that exist in front of you that perhaps the traditional organizations aren't seeing? If you're in the traditional organizations, what role are you playing to help your organization see those things and maybe pilot things so that the, the mothership is maybe better positioned five years from now from where it is today? We want to have those conversations with you. We'll talk a lot more about all of this in the coming sessions of the Altitude Sessions podcast. For those of you in advisory work with us, for those of you coming to formulate, even if it's your first time to Jacksonville, we're looking forward to welcoming you as a team into our home in October. But until then, again, this is Brian Melanson with the Altitude Sessions podcast. We're really happy you were here. Really grateful for the support. We'll catch you here in a couple of weeks. Thanks.